Welcome to the Didi and Latal Show. Advice, thoughts, and stories from a married couple on cybersecurity, technology, and life in general. Now here are your hosts, Didi and Latal. Hello and welcome to the Didi and Lital show. It's another week. Hi Didi. How's Hi. it going today? Boring. And I'll tell you why. What's the highlight of this weekend? What's the highlight of this weekend? The highlight of the, is the MLB All-Star Game with, that is played in the Mariners Stadium. The, I, I don't know what's more boring. Seattle? Baseball? You, you know what's the highlight of the Mariners? The, the, they started off with having Alex Rodriguez, A-Rod, as a player, which, of course, they gave up on. <laughs> Speaking of good-looking men, he's probably one of the best-looking men in sports, and that's why, in his honor, I'm wearing Jimmy Garoppolo's jersey, <laughs> who is now the best-looking quarterback now that Tom is gone. And we have our guest today again, Andy Ellis. Thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me again. I appreciate it. Yes. Excellent. So Andy, if you didn't listen to a previous episode, he is Wild Ventures CISO in residence. Uh, operating uh, partner. Operating partner. It's basically uh, similar, similar job. <laughs> <laughs> and many years of a CISO at Akamai and some other great things. And we have topics we want to talk about today after you, you finish your sports gruntling. Yes, uh, anything uh, else we need to cover? Yeah, we forgot to introduce him world? as a Patriots fan. Yeah, huge Patriots fan. Okay. In fact, there's, there's even Patriot stories in here. By the way, our family very, very fast went... Team Tom versus Team Bill, because besides that you cannot not love Tom. See, Bill. I think it's a false choice. I think I can be on Team Tom and Team Bill. I think they are each the greatest of all time at what they do. And I think one of the things we've seen is how little management can do once the talent has left the building. So you can, you can look at that, but if you look at the way the Patriots interacted with the salary cap in the last five years of Brady's career, they really went all in following the strategy the Saints did. They knew that when Brady was done, and in their mind done was going to be 2018, 2019, that they would have this hanging dead weight in the salary cap that was gonna cripple them for a few years. Like that was known and understood as part of what they were going to get by being able to borrow money from the future and field amazing football teams around Tom Brady. You and mean so from like 2014 to 2018, the Patriots went to four Super Bowls, were a doinked field goal kick away from, or point after kick from going to five. Yep. They won three of the four they went to and were a incorrectly miscalled flag away from winning the fourth one. So that's not me saying being spoiled sour grapes. Like this happens all the time. You lose games on the refs don't notice something or you win games on the refs don't notice something. The Patriots put together an unbelievable five-year run that was not just Tom Brady. That was Brady and Belichick both as a general manager and as a coach. And now they're digging themselves back out of that. And yes, it is absolutely fair to say it's going to be very hard to replicate that because it was not Belichick doing it on his own. It was Belichick plus Brady, and now it is Belichick without Brady. So he's got an uphill slog to do, but he is still, in my opinion, the greatest coach in NFL history. With a very bad drafting record, I have to say. Oh, he's got an Nikhil, amazing drafting record. He, he drafted Nikhil Harry, so, the only bum <laughs> wide receiver 
in that whole class. So you have to look at how often the Patriots have slots available for their players. Like when you walk into a draft, and if you're a team that has 30 problems, like you can take anybody and slot them right in. The Patriots often have a very well-rounded team when they walk into the draft. They take higher gambles. Like they go after players like in the second round. You're like, oh, well, we'll take this tight end with a history of injuries. And everybody made fun of them for drafting Rob Gronkowski. Yes. And sure. yet Rob Gronkowski is one of the greatest tight ends of all time. And if he could stay healthy, he would be the greatest. I do not dis on Rob Gronkowski, you had me at hello. Yep. Now look across the NFL and count how many players are starting or at least in the middle of the depth chart that were drafted by Belichick that didn't work out in the Patriots. But like how many defensive backs across the NFL start, got their start here in Foxborough? And uh, Belichick's totally happy to be like, oh, you, you did great on your rookie contract and you want a ton of money, go somewhere else, I'll replace you. And sometimes they disappear for other reasons. Not we'll talk about anybody yeah. that that happened to recently. Let's agree to disagree, but it's a we can do so. but it's a very eloquent definition. As very hard listeners to Felger and Maz, yeah. and I will say this is where I can have fun, which is if you're a Brady fan and you're measuring success, say by number of rings, yeah, then you should be an Allison Cahill fan. Who's that? Allison Cahill is the starting quarterback for the Boston Renegades, which is the Women's Football Alliance team based here locally that has not lost a game since 2018. And I believe she's going for her eighth ring just shortly after we record this. She's got one more playoff game, and then they're going to Canton for the championship game. Interesting. Going to check I it out. I think this leads very well to our conversation about inclusivity and, yep. and team building, because this is an excellent example of not just getting a template of talent. And this conversation is coming from, it, it bubbled from, a latest experience, if you've been listening, I've been kind of looking around this idea of getting us a new home. The way we are kind of exploring this and we started looking around new constructions in the town we live in, in Newton. And what was interesting to find out that no new construction home in Newton now have a two car garage. Yes. All of them have one car garage. Well, they do. They, the, the, the rule is if it's a condo, it's a one car garage because there's a, a certain percentage of the front that needs to right. only be a garage. Because the town assume it's ugly exactly. to have. Exactly. Yes. And the second thing is that no home, whatever, will have more than a foot, 500 square foot indoor garage, which means that even if you have a McMansion, Yep. You can't park your Ferrari. Think of Tony Stark. If Tony Stark wants to right. move No into Tony Stark garages. No Tony Stark garages. And, and we started talking about all those kind of rules that towns have and restrictions. And we started discussing if this is part of this trend of the NIMBYs. I don't know if everybody yeah, is aware of that. Not in my backyard. Not in my not backyard. In my back yard. All of those rules that are being applied in city councils mm -hmm. uh, to restrict building of some type of buildings and at the end of the day they're trying to impose a certain population a certain template to be in the neighborhood that's what it's right. all about right. it's they like don't want nice they don't want density they want density elsewhere exactly right it's the like if we want 
people to be able to prosper, we need more housing. Like the solution is always just more housing. We can argue about whether it's more affordable housing, more high-end housing, but at the end of the day, it's more, and there are people who don't want more in their neighborhood. Yep. And, and if you want more, to our point, we have three kids. We need a, right. a larger garage. If you don't want us with all our kids, that means we need to go to a different town. So right. um, it's, it's this conversation that we started having that all of us, we want to say we're liberal. We want to say we're inclusive. We want to say, oh, but in my street, I want to have people that are like me. I want right. to see the same thing. We, which on one hand, when it comes to corporate life, to, to our lives, I think we need to admit it. Because like the first thing to admit when we have biases is that we all feel more comfortable as human beings mm -hmm. when we have surrounding us people that come from similar backgrounds, have things in common, we speak the same language, we have the same accent. People Maybe who don't surprise us. Yeah, we've been to the same school, yep. so we share the same stories, or we came from the same unit in the military and we can run jokes about this. But at the end of the day, it's not for the betterment of society or the organization. So there is big tension that I think we need to start by acknowledging that us as human beings, we are all NIMBYs. We all want to be surrounded with people that look, think, and act like us. I, I, I disagree and agree, and I'll explain why. It's human nature. I'll explain. Okay. There's a bl everybody has a blind spot. Some people will say that, that they're not like you, uh, what you're saying, and they'll look at what they've done. And in reality, everybody has the traits that they value as their likes. So you said look and speak. Maybe that's not what they look at the like, but there's other ways. You mentioned people that follow rules. Mm -hmm. So it could be that they, they are very much okay with everybody looks, feels, whatever language, but everybody needs to be a rule follower. Right. And yeah. the, the challenge is, it's one thing to say, well, I'm going to make these decisions on a case-by-case -case basis. Right. Imagine if you could control who lived around you. Yep. Right. And you might be a benevolent dictator with that power and let in everybody who's amazing and cool and you only keep out awful human beings. But that's not how the system works. So instead you say, well, what's the rule that we will add in? Yes. And so we start adding in these rules and some people add in the rules out of malice. Some people support the rules because look, let's take the garage example. Garage doors are ugly. Yeah. Right. And so somebody goes easily convinced, like, I don't want my neighborhood to be nothing but wall to wall garage doors with a tiny front door next to it. And so people are like, oh, I don't want that to reduce the value of my home. First of all, you don't get a say in what my home looks like, but that's a compelling argument to a I lot agree. of people. I would say it's beautiful garage doors. We can make them so nice. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> There's a limit. I'm in Winchester that allows you to have up to three car garage, but not more. It doesn't matter whether you hide it or anything. It's just three cars. Three car that's garage. it. So fortunately, we only have three cars right now, but we're going to have to get a fourth next year. So somebody get, doesn't get a garage space. And so we add these rules that, are, that might be well-meaning. And let's just assume that they're well-meaning. There's no ill intent. Yep. Agree. It's the aggregate be around them and that the people who advocate for the rules are not often systems thinkers. And they don't say like, how is this going to affect the system? They assume everything will continue just as it has been. Like, oh, we'll just make this rule 
And look, we'll still have all the great culture and community that we have. We'll just have prettier fronts. But no, it's like, oh, one car garages, which means you are pushing out families, which means you're pushing out double income, working class families that need two cars, right? It's like, oh, all of a sudden it's like, no, like, who are you left with? Well, those of us who are fortunate enough to work from home most of the time so we can share a car. So you end up with this very privileged class that is what you have selected for, even if you never intended it, because you didn't think about the consequences. And I'm, I'm going to go back to your our previous talk. I don't know if it will come out in sequence or not, but the process thinkers. Yep. I think this is the blind spot of most people is that they don't understand the process. Yes. And there's a whole list of, in Kahneman's book, about the think fast. Thinking some, fast and slow. Yes. yes. He talks about the fact that there was an additional highway that was added in Germany mm-hmm. and it made everything go slower. Yep. And it's a very interesting that you need to do a lot of analysis for it in, in advanced math, the kind that people that no, yeah. win Nobel Prizes win to understand why is that. But in, but, in our but lives... some things are so predictable. Like yes. take, I think it's Norway that just added a, a, an increased wealth tax yep. on millionaires and it's a, ma- a substantial one, and they had more emigration of millionaires in the last year than they'd had in like the past 14 or 15 years. Like this is completely predictable. You just said you're gonna grab a quarter of a percent of people's assets. The people who are wealthy are the most mobile people you have. Yep. And so they looked around and they said, well, I guess I'm not living here anymore. Yeah, yep. it's easy. And Especially just, because, because the winters are so fun there. Yeah, <laughs> but this doesn't require advanced math. Like so many yes. of these consequences are so predictable. Absolutely. And we, people just refuse to see them. The Didi and Latal Show will return in a moment. The Didi and Latal Show is sponsored by ORT. In today's world, identities are the perimeter protecting the organization and are the most exploited vector by attackers. If your security teams are struggling to maintain control of identity management tools, ORT can help. ORT offers a centralized platform for discovering, monitoring, assessing, and remediating identity threats to your business. While most security platforms can take weeks or months to start identifying and remediating risks, With ORT, your security teams can get started in as little as 30 minutes and start securing the identity perimeter immediately. ORT will surface the most critical vulnerabilities and give your security teams the recommended action steps. Start your trial today at ORT.io. That's O-O-R-T dot I-O. The DD and Letal Show is sponsored by Hunters. Hunters is a SaaS platform purpose-built for security operation teams. Providing unlimited data ingestion and normalization at a predictable cost, Hunters helps SOC teams mitigate real threats faster and more reliably than SIM. Visit hunters.ai to learn more. Uh, I wanted to take a look at our industry a little bit and see what things we do in our industry continuously that are exclusive. Require degrees? Yes. Require job skills that are sometimes impossible to have? Oh, you should have 15 years of experience with Kubernetes. I would love to find anybody with 15 years of experience with Kubernetes because I want their time machine. Yes. Yes. The lady that was the team lead for the original build served with me in the military and she was still serving 15 years ago working at Google. So you look at what, what we do 
And a lot of this actually dates back to a Supreme Court decision many years ago, Richie V. Stefano, which was sometimes known as the, the New Haven Firefighters case. And what's fascinating is the reaction to this ruling has nothing to do with the case, but it's sort of triggered by the case where there's a test to get promoted to lieutenant, you get rank ordered based on your scores on the test. It is one of the fairest tests ever assessed in that like everything on the test is about being able to do the job of being a firefighter. In the town of New Haven, and you're required in Connecticut to pick from the top three people currently available. So like everybody gets rank ordered, you can pick one of the top three, you don't have to take the number one, and then whoever's next picks from the new top three. And when New Haven went to go promote a lieutenant, the top three were all white men, and so they picked someone else. Well, there's, there's like a union contract. There's so many things they broke. It just ends up in front of the Supreme Court. Like, in the Supreme Court's like, you can't do this. They basically throw up their hands, send it back. But so many HR lawyers made a lot of money on this one. And they came around, and I remember when they came to us, and they were like, here's what you need to do. You need to have more impartial tests that to filter people out. And, we're, and first of all, I'm sitting here and I'm like, the whole reason this was a case was there was a very impartial test and you still didn't like the results. Yep. So don't tell me more impartial tests will solve this. But recruiters basically become, they're, they're search engine filters. They get told, here's a bunch of requirements for a job, make sure the resumes have those requirements on them. And they're just pattern matching. It's worse even than chat GPT level. Like if you say 15 years of Kubernetes experience on a job posting, the recruiter isn't checking for 15 years. They're looking for the word Kubernetes. Right. Yes. right. And they're just going to filter. And we have a lot of evidence about how much people are willing to, I don't want to say lie, but paint themselves in a rosier picture on their <laughs> uh, resume. Right. Like I will happily write down that I have minimal experience with AWS, but I'll put the word AWS there. Look, I run my personal website in AWS. It's overkill for what I'm doing, but like I'm familiar with the AWS console. I can set up a cloud workload and I can set up DNS and that's about it. Like don't ask me to do anything more complex than AWS, but I'm gonna put AWS on my resume if I'm applying for a job that's like be a cloud security expert. Now, most women or minorities won't. So they don't make it past the recruiter. They might have the exact same experience I do, but they're like, I don't have the 15 years of AWS experience you're asking for, so I'm not gonna lie. I'm like, oh, I'm not lying either. I just understand that there is a parser that is only looking for the keyword AWS, and so I make it past the recruiter and you don't. And like, we know that this bias exists. It's a, like, this is literally an attack we do in cybersecurity. It's a double parser attack. There's a whole bunch of attacks you can do where you like attack a web proxy to get to the web server behind it because you know it's going to read the attack packet differently. Well, apply the same thing to HR. Like HR is just filtering because you're getting so many resumes for jobs and they're narrowing it down and saying, well, it's, it's gotta be a college degree. Do you know why it has to be a college degree? Because we hired a couple of people on H1B visas and if we let somebody else be in their same job title without a college degree, you've just invalidated the reason for the visa. Oops, you lose those staff, so you have to have a college degree. We put on these insane requirements that are sometimes inferred, like you create a job posting for an analyst, and somebody in HR says, well, I need to have a whole career tree for analysts, so I need a senior, a junior, a principal, and I'll take every number here and I'll just add to it. And that's how you get like, oh, you need 15 years of Kubernetes experience, because I said I wanted an analyst with two years, 
And so when I said, now I need to hire a principal cloud analyst, they're like, oh, well, that's 15 years of experience with every technology here. So we create these rules to, to, we think to keep ourselves out of trouble, but what ends up happening is like the only resumes that hiring managers see are for white men. Yep, that is actually a topic that we discussed of, I actually make the recruiters give me a more diverse funnel and I don't care. Yep. Because so I tell every hiring manager, I say every resume you get, you should have a spreadsheet. And if you're not handed demographic information, you should guess. Write down, like, what gender do you think this person is? And what race or nationality do you think they are? And write those down. And then you should look at that over time. And if you don't like what you're seeing, you need to stop your hiring process. Yep. And figure out what you're doing wrong, which might be you wrote a bad job description. Might be HR changed it. Might be so many things. But I learned this from one of the people on my team who like, she was like, I got 20 white men in a row. Like there's a pro there's some problem. I don't know what it is, but I, I have a sensor that tells me I've got a problem. Yep. But I think on the hiring side, definitely. But we, we talked about it in the previous episode about retaining this yep. talent and, and also those problems that I inherit with the way you structure the way you work. Uh, meeting times was a great example that you brought in uh, so many other things to promote somebody. We also have those rigid things of like, you need to do X, Y, Z to be even included for a promotion. Or you need to go through that amount of time in a job and go oh. through hoops. And, and that's which also are, which honestly, most of the reason for that is there's not enough money for promotions. The company isn't budgeting for it. And so you're adding in rules, not for the sake of the rules, but to slow down the rate at which you promote people. Because you cannot afford, you can't afford the raises. To. Yes. Right. Yes. So yeah. the secret for this, if you have a large enough organization, and I did this at 30 people, so it doesn't need to be that large, is you try to never, ever hire senior people. If you convince somebody to give you the money to hire a principal architect, Find a senior architect on your team and promote them because that's not promotion money. You're, You're hiring, hiring them into a principal architect job. Then you backfill their senior architect job with one of your architects. And you do this all the way down and you can promote like seven people out of one new headcount and then use what's left to convert an intern to full Why time. nobody thinks about it that way? Well, I, 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 that, that is called, it's named after me and Dennis at Cisco. Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, yeah. we did this a lot. Because it's a lot of paperwork. If you want to do this right, you basically have to do an end run around processes that are designed to keep you from doing this. Because a lot of companies don't want you to do that because it's, painful for them and they're like, I'll make it a promotion or they don't want to open and close all these job recs, right? Cause that's what we would do. We would literally open up like seven jobs and close them with internal hires. So, and it was same day transactions. And now it's like, well, oh, like, are you doing the right thing because you're hiring and you didn't consider other candidates. And so it looks like a diversity problem. Oh, we're not willing to entertain anybody. So the programs that were set in place to make sure we were, had an inclusive hiring process got in the way of having an inclusive promotion process. This is so interesting because I would argue you should always prefer the people you already have inside unless you feel that you have a problem right. of not having a diverse organization enough. Right. So I prefer to put all my effort into the team I already have Yep. Then going and putting energy in bringing in somebody new could be amazing talent, right. but still I need to and onboard, it, train, invest 
when you, yeah, when you look at it, obviously that's the way you would go. Right. But when you're building the process, because most people build very naive process controls, you look and you say, how would somebody use this ability to do wrong things, right? I might do something like say, hey, like I've got my buddy Didi here, he's looking for a job, I'm gonna tell Didi I'm gonna hire him and I will open up a job and I will immediately fill it with Didi and I will close it, right? And that's a problem because I haven't made this available. Right. And so the exact same capability that I'm using to promote internally looks like I'm doing these friendly hires and so, of course, HR tries to slow that down or stop it, and it's a lot of paperwork. My admin, whenever we would do one of these, like she was filing paperwork for weeks to open and move budgets around and keep track of things. Our finance business partner did not want to keep track of the budget, so we had our own set of books. And at the end of it, we would present them and say, here's how it all balances. And they're like, okay, great. You didn't try to fleece the company out of money this way. I found that I'm giving a lot of credit to a very capable finance lady that worked with me and helped me through yes. a lot of this stuff. And a very capable HR lady that helped me deal Absolutely. with some of If that. you have the right partners. If you have the right you have partners, it. it's great. And yeah. the other thing is that one of the things we kept, because we're nerds and we're comp sci people, almost every rec we did, we interviewed at least two other people and gave them a fair shot. Mm -hmm. which is so even if you promoted internally? Even if we ended up promoting internally, everyone we interviewed, at least two people. Okay. I'll be uh, honest, we weren't doing that because these were people we, we had plans to promote. Uh, and so uh, I we, know, but, uh, but, I, but I, I appreciate that you were doing that because that's a fantastic that's opportunity. But, but that, that was, as you said, it was very, very painful. Yeah. But I, I believe that that was the right way to do this because I, I don't know, maybe outside, even though uh, this is somebody I know for 20 years, maybe outside there's somebody that's more capable. And I need to be honest. Yep. I want to touch the topic that everybody talks about, but the guy is not a culture fit. With inclusivity comes this thing. The uh, work-life balance. Or, yeah, how will a yeah. person deal with work-life balance? I feel like the, the culture fit is the, the NIMBY thing. I, so it's it painful. Can, it can be. So I like to say, and it's not even in the books, I, I wish I'd had this phrase before I, I finished writing the book, which is culture is the garden of the plants that we celebrate and the weeds that we tolerate. And when people talk about culture fit, what's really important, the question is, are you looking for plants that fit with, that are like, oh, these are like the plants we already have. We like, we like doing it this way, we're gonna hire people like that, that's a problem. Or when you say culture fit, are you like, this person is a weed? Like, I'll give you an example. We did, which and is a standard practice at most companies, now you do paired interviews, where you have two people interviewing one person at the same time. And, the hiring manager was a woman and she was in a paired interview with someone else. She's asking the questions and the answers are all being pointed at the man in the room. Yep. The, the, the candidate won't look at the woman who is both asking questions and going to be his boss. <laughs> like this is a very clear culture fit problem. Like it's like, okay, we're done. Like that's a weed. So I think when people talk about culture fit, most often they're talking about the, what I think of as problematic is, well, we have a bunch of things we like and this person is like the things we already like versus this person has things that will not work here. And that's what you should use culture fit for is you should say, what are the unacceptables? And I think this is where organization and especially early stage, they probably don't define it well enough of saying, okay, those are the things that are weeds that are like intolerable behaviors. Yeah. 
discriminating. You learn them by not doing them. Right. Yep. Exactly. And and uh, very often people just use culture fit as we want them to be like us. Right. We want them to come from that we don't same. have to change. And the reality is if you have a garden and you plant something new in the garden, the garden is different than it was before. And people don't like that. Yeah. So they're like, I don't want to change. So I want somebody who's going to show up and do the job the way everybody else is doing it. So Same I don't hour have... of the day. Right. But the reality is. to the meeting when I, I put it. You want change. If you're hiring somebody new, they should bring new value to the team, which will cause everybody around them to change, hopefully for the better. Like, oh, I won't do this piece of work because they're going to implement better QA. So I don't have to do the manual QA I was doing. Or they're going to take care of this library that nobody else wants. Whatever they're going to do is going to change for you. Yep. So rule number one for me was always when somebody brought in a friend of his, I said, what can he do that you can't? Right. Tell me something that he can do. How that, is it different? How is he, how is how is like he, how is he better than you? Now, yeah. always ask the, the non-comfortable question. How is he better than you? Excellent. A good question. I bet a lot of people were like, wait, are you going to replace me with him? It was in the back of their head. No, no. A, a, a lot of the people already know me. The, the people, I'm a little bit of an acquired taste. Let's put it this way. Before <laughs> <laughs> we didn't notice it. Yes. Any other topic that we want to touch on this inclusivity? Good examples that you have from organization that do it well? So I'm going to give a, one that I loved, which is how to deal with parental leaves. Okay, very okay. important one. So first thing is you have to understand your constraints, which is in the US, when someone goes on a parental leave, whether they're birth mother or not, a leave is this weird structured thing. It cannot be combined with time off vacation. You cannot go from leave onto vacation. Yep. You have to set foot in the building or whatever your workplace is. That doesn't mean you have to show up the next day. And this is what I think everybody gets wrong, which is they think that somebody takes parental leave for whatever reason, they may have given birth and that's a very traumatic experience or they may not be sleeping. Newborns are also a traumatic experience. I think we've all been through that. Yes. Yep. And expecting them to go from zero work hours to 40 or 60 overnight is the single biggest failure. Right? It's actually the motivation for one of my chapters, which is four days of great work now are rarely more important than four months of good work down the road. So here's my, what was my policy was you came back to work for one day to check in, make sure your email access worked, figure out what had broken while you were gone, check in with your manager. And that was it for the week. That's wonderful. Just say hi. Just say hi. So we know you you're alive. You must have missed some of the faces around. Yep. And just doing that, you're going to discover things like, ooh, I don't think about what the commute is and how am I dealing with childcare? Like, and then you gradually come back in. And yeah. so maybe you're working four hours a day for three days a week, whatever, just phase it back in. If it takes you three months to get back to a full-time schedule, like I want you to figure that out and not to be stressing that you're worried that the day you lost protection and then you're now stressing about you dealing with a newborn and a 40 hour work week, like you're not actually being productive. Let's let you focus and get back to work. And if it takes you an extra four months, I don't care. I'm invested in keeping people for years. And I already lost you for however long the maternity or paternity leave was. I think for us, for birth mothers, it was 18 months. So, or 18 weeks, sorry. 18 uh, months would be fit. Yes, 18 weeks, exactly. right? So it's like, I already lost you for 18 A quarter, weeks. Yeah, more than So that. if it's going to be another four to six weeks, that's not a big deal. No. And 
totally agree. People don't think about how hard the transition is. Yeah. You're still figuring out what we've been through, interviewing many, then bringing them in, then firing them, then needing to restart just the time, the effort. It yeah. takes time. Oh, it does. And this is, if you've never interacted with a nanny, I will point out that... That's um, the hardest was, hiring ever. Not as it's, it's the hardest hiring, but my wife fired more people in her, her, more nannies alone in her career than I have ever fired employees. Same. Like... No, 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 you didn't. I didn't. <laughs> You, 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 uh, you, she delegated the firing to of, you. Of course, she delegated. Uh, it's also well done. It's yes. also Lital. I like to play the nice. She, she likes I, to, to the be the nice, nice person. Top. Also, she has the denial is not just a river in Egypt thing. Yep. I very much like I do in my job. Again, the the, the engineer. I know that after six weeks, this is as good as it gets. Yep. Th- th- there's. Oh, we, we, were fi- we were firing nannies their first day. Uh, like we course. have people who didn't last a day. Yes. And, and when I say that I have fired, I don't mean I personally, that I and my whole organization, like 20 years building a security team, I terminated fewer people for cause than my wife did. Yep. Just with nannies. Like if you've Makes never sense. been in that situation, you don't real like next time you look at how much stress it is to fire an employee at work, just consider that this was a person who was taking care of your small child. Yes. Staying at your home. Staying in your home, like very traumatic. Yes. Like take account for that. Agree. Absolutely. That's a wonderful advice that I hope that every manager follows. We we need to have more compassion for them. And here's the best part is so many companies have gone to the unlimited time off boondoggle where like it's not a liability that's on the books. We don't have to pay you. But as a manager, that means that you basically have carte blanche to be like, don't come into work today. It's okay. It doesn't count against you because there's no count. And here's the way I look at it is there are days that you have somebody come into work because they don't want to use a vacation day or use a sick day and they're going to be useless and you know it and they know it. Yep. And they're just digging themselves into a hole. So tell them to go home like for whatever reason. And the next day they'll be back with more energy having solved whatever their real problem was. Yep. And we then, want people to be on and yeah, if you're active. not if you're not going to be on, go take care of the thing keeping you from being on, and I get more days out of you. And every time I do that and make it visible, and people around you see it, they're more engaged. They want to stick around. Absolutely. And, and here's the best part: they'll tell their friends to come work for you. Yep, that's true. I think I read somewhere that now parental leave is the number one benefit people are looking for when applying to a job and choosing, which makes sense. It oh, makes absolutely. such an important difference. Well, I mean, it, I guess not if you are early in your career, you're still not into that. But once you are later in your career, that's a huge differentiator. Yep. And if, if you have a generous parental leave program, I recommend looking at the opportunities for development around parental leave. If you have somebody who's a director who goes out on parental leave, Give their organization to a senior manager for the duration of it. It's obviously not permanent. It's like, hey, we're going to have you keep an eye on this org as well as your own so you can start to develop director skills and see what those challenges are. And when the person comes back, you slide back into your senior manager role. That's okay. It's just a short-term thing. But take advantage of these built-in opportunities to remove irreplaceability. Same with the individual contributor. Yeah. Why not stretch somebody's role to go learn a new skill? Oh, absolutely. Um, I've, I've got a whole chapter on this one. <laughs> wonderful. We had, we had somebody who was our, our most irreplaceable person. You, 
almost every organization has someone like this that when, when you have a problem that needs solving and you're like, God, it just needs He's so many wolf. fiddly things. This is the person I go send on it. Yeah, the wolf. And, and they come back and they have built a system and it's not overly complex, but it works, but they're the only one who knows how to maintain it. Yeah. And nobody else in the org wants to learn how to maintain it because they're like, there's no benefit in maintaining this person's stuff. Well, we had that person and one day he came in and he said, I'm engaged to be married. And we're like, great, now we have to plan for your honeymoon, which is in a year. He gave us a year's warning, but we knew he was going to want to take a long honeymoon and we wanted to encourage it. So we had to basically send him on forced vacations where we would discover what would break and who we could assign work to. And so that by the time he got married, he could calmly be like, I am not needed. They're not going to call me. And when he got back from being married, we had a whole host of brand new projects that nobody could solve. They were like, these are your problem to go solve them now. Wonderful. I think we need to wrap up. That's wonderful. Well, thanks everyone for joining us again. Thanks Andy for being here. I hope everybody enjoyed the conversation. If you like this podcast, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcast. If you want to be on the show, please reach out to Didi or to Vital <coughs> on LinkedIn or wherever you can reach out to us. We're here weekly. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Didi. Have a wonderful week.